You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the show. Uh, this is the Warrior Priest Podcast. If you didn't know, I don't know why you wouldn't know. It's printed right there on the label. Uh, we were gone last week because Bill had a enforced lecture. <laughs> he was locked in. He was in a hostage situation at his school. And I had a wedding to perform. I, I uh, officiated a wedding and then had to show up for the reception to say the prayer at the local Legion Hall. So beginning to end, we started the wedding at 3, and I was home by 540. Nice. Yes. The the bride, bless her heart, said, I don't want any frills. I don't want anything extra. I just want to do the right and get out of here. I'm like, I'm with you, sister. And so we packed about 150 people into the church. The whole service was 20 minutes beginning to end, and we hung out a little bit, cleaned up, and then went to the Legion Hall, which just waited for everybody to show up on their party bus. And uh, as a pastor, it is, in my experience, the better part of valor to get in and get out of Legion Halls and other establishments <laughs> quickly, because one, I don't want to see my folks get messy drunk, and my folks don't want to mm-hmm. get messy drunk in front of me. So it's just better for everybody if I say the prayer and head home. Yeah. What was your lecture on that you had to sit through? Uh, Revelation. Fair enough. A weekend in the apocalypse of St. John. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. It's all about Jesus. It was just, (laughs) yes, it is. It's a big picture. It is. It's a circular letter. A lot of people miss that. And it's not revelations, Mm -hmm. plural. It's revelation. It's the revelation or the apocalypse of St. John. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, that's why we were gone. And this week, we are going to dive into Beowulf. One of my favorite stories yeah. ever. And we're going to do a new translation by Seamus Heaney because he's Irish and he's the best. <laughs> and <laughs> if I remember, I will include the YouTube uh, videos. There's two YouTube videos, so to speak, of Heaney reading this, his own translation. And especially if you're Irish, it's just epigenetic that you get all fiery and want to go out and raid a village or go on an adventure. Chop up monsters. If you hear Heaney read. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. (laughs) But I love this translation. I've read this several times. And so we thought, yeah, we just finished with Stockdale, a modern reading of a modern warrior, and talked about the Stoic uh, ethic, Stoic philosophy, especially Epictetus, and how it helped Stockdale get through seven and a half years of imprisonment as a prisoner of war in Hanoi during the Mm -hmm. Vietnam War. So now we're going to shoot backwards, so about a thousand years or so, (laughs) to what, what, it's probably one of the, it, it is the oldest story fiction that we really have in print. Like we have this text. Otherwise, in fact, there's some, you know, our discussion of whether the Arthurian legends are based loosely around this because this is, it is Anglo, but it's also obviously profoundly influenced by the Danes Mm -hmm. and the Swedes and the Norwegians, the Norse people. And there's a lot of podcasts on this, actually, if you want to go deep into the literary, what do you want, context of Beowulf and all the symbolism and different things mm-hmm. like that. But, and Heaney's introduction is really, really well done too. So there's, there's an explanation of the poem and, and so forth. So we're going to just dive right in because it has the greatest opening of any story. So, period. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, 
Pause. The spear Danes in days gone by, and the kings who ruled them, had courage and greatness. We have heard of those princes' heroic campaigns. So the side note is that the Danes have legends about their warrior kings. The most famous was Shield Chiefson, who founded the ruling house. So there was Shield Chiefson, scourge of many tribes, a wrecker of mead benches, <laughs> rampaging among foes. If you don't love him already by that one sentence, we cannot right. be friends. <laughs> first of all, his first name is Shield. <laughs> Second, he is the scourge of many tribes. He ruins mead benches and he rampages amongst his foes. First of all, I'm jealous that we don't get to name people like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like I wanted to name my oldest son Thor, but then my wife said, I thought you wanted to name the dog Thor. And I said, well, we got the kid before we got the Great Dane, so the kid gets yep. the name. My argument was he's either going to be really, really tough or he's going to get picked on a lot. Which will make him tough. But with the lame, which will make him tough, exactly. like a boy named Sue. <laughs> so we named him Owen because my wife won, <laughs> which is Welsh, so that's about as close as I got. <laughs> But the Spear Danes then, and the kings who ruled them, had courage and greatness. And we have heard of these princes' heroic campaigns. And really, this is how this epic poem starts off then, and as so many do in, in set in this, this period of time. These are people of courage and greatness. They are the ones who go out and seek adventure. They are the ones who fight the monsters. They are the ones who bring order to mm-hmm. chaos. And they are heroes because of their courage and their greatness. And so therefore, she Chiefson to begin with, but then Beowulf and following. And as we've talked about before, something that has definitely been lost, in my opinion, in the present tense, in the previous, I don't know, a number of generations since the Second World War, maybe, is this sense of courage and greatness, this, this sense of adventure. Mm-hmm. I thought the other day, too, I was going back through old articles, sci-fi pulp articles. And I love uh, noir Mm. as a literary genre. I love the Dashiell Hammett novels, for example, and Raymond Carver and so forth. There's something about, and the King, you know, um, uh, Doc Savage, uh, King Solomon's Mines, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, really played off of this. There's a sense of adventure nowadays, but it seems more focused on space, for example, with SpaceX or NASA wanting to launch Mars probes and Mm. so forth. Whereas when I was growing up, that was in the mix, the space shuttle, Columbia and the, you know, all that, that was in the mix. But we were still, when I was little, looking backwards to the guys who went into the jungle Mm. or went into the caves to seek the mines or found Shangri-La or so forth and so on. And reading the Arthurian legends, the Song of Roland, and other things like that. And I just don't see that much anymore. I don't hear about it. Maybe I'm just not in the right groups or, you know, traveling in the right circles, but I just don't hear a lot of this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that the Stoics talk about, here we go again, one of the things the Stoics talk about is having heroes to emulate examples of good men, brave men, ethical men, virtuous men to follow. Pericles, Odysseus, Hercules even, although he's a little sketchy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but the point being is that 
for the Stoics, and even for a lot of Greeks in general, even the Epicureans to a certain extent, and the Cynics, you know, if you're going to emulate someone, find someone who displays, for example, courage and greatness of character. Don't just pick anybody to yeah. emulate. And so here then, the, per- the person of courage and greatness to begin with is Shield Sheafson, scourge of many tribes, wrecker of meat benches, rampage amongst his foes. That's their definition of a hero. That's the definition of someone who has courage and greatness, which I'm down with that. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> He's a true savage. Mm-hmm. But, and you know this too, is that from your, your time serving in the military, is that when you hang around with folks who are engaged in something that is both physically and mentally challenging, exhausting, really pushes you to the limit of mental, emotional, and physical, you know, exhaustion, even sanity at times. The other side of that that a lot of people don't grasp is you got to let that go. You got to vent. Mm. You got to let the pressure valve, you got to open it up and let it out, right? Yep. And I see this a lot then that with the folks that I train with and, and fighting and stuff is that after you fight, for example, you're a different person. You're changed. The person that you were before you fought is not the same person that exits that fight, win or lose. You're changed. You're different because, at least from from my side of the street, what happens to you mentally and physically and and emotionally when you fight, it demands everything from you in that moment. And you find out a lot about yourself and it reveals your true character. And so you come out the other side of that and you got you to gotta release that pressure because that's a lot to carry around. And you can't carry it around for very long, I don't think at least in my experience, because um, it'll drive you nuts. Mm-hmm. And so you got to vent it. And a lot of folks that maybe are not familiar with that, the fight, the battle, they don't appreciate things like wrecker of mead benches. <laughs> but think about it this way. You're going to go out and you're going to fight a bunch of dudes with swords and axes. And you got a bunch of dudes with swords and axes with you. And you're going to hack each other to pieces. Mm-hmm. That requires an immense amount of huevos. <laughs> yeah. And not to do it once, but regularly. And so the opposite side is, you. At least this is my opinion, I appreciate life so much more. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the things I eat and drink. I appreciate the relationships I have. I appreciate just looking out the window and looking at a tree and watching the leaves blow in the wind. I appreciate all of it. Because I know my place in the universe, and it's kind of a dust particle in infinity kind of relationship. And that's not nihilistic, it's not fatalistic, I'm not trying to say that, it's just that I understand that I am not the most important person in the universe, let alone even in my own house. And so... When I go and do what I do and come back from it, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and so grateful to just walk away with my health and well-being relatively intact and also grateful to be changed by the experience and whatever you know, way, shape, or form that takes. That it just makes everything around me then more vibrant and makes me appreciate it and more grateful for it. And I'm humbled by it. But that also means then that when it's time to have a good time, I'm going to have a good time. Mm. You know, I don't drink, I don't do drugs because I'm a recovering alcoholic. But that just means then that what other folks need to drink and do drugs to do, I do sober. (laughs) (laughs) And I just got to vent. I got to do what I do. 
and whatever, you know, it's not illegal or anything. It's just, it's time to celebrate and it's time to laugh and it's time to have a good time and it's time to enjoy life. Yep. And I think that is also part of courage and greatness is that you have to have the courage and the greatness of character to put yourself in these challenging situations. And then when you come out the other side of them, you're really, really thankful for these things because everything's been turned up to 11. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can, and you can correct me if you disagree, but you can't live there all the time. No. It no. just, you get frayed at both ends and you're going to snap eventually. Mm-hmm. And because it just, it, it's too intense. You can't live there all the time. Yeah. And so as a consequence, you got to vent. Yep. And that's kind of, you know, it's a little bit of a tangent here at the beginning, but I'm drinking mushroom coffee and the nootropics are kicking in. So for those of you listening, <laughs> hope you got some yourself. I highly recommend it. Mushroom coffee as we're recording this at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Yeah. Let me know how that works out for you tomorrow morning. I will, right? Yep. A foundling then to... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. This terror of the hall troops had come far. A foundling to start with, he would flourish later on as his powers waxed and his worth was proved. In the end, each clan on the outlying coasts beyond the whale road had to yield to him and begin to pay tribute. That was one good king. Shields Chiefson, one good king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Afterwards, a boy child was born to Shield, a cub in the yard, a comfort sent by God to that nation. He knew what they had told, the long times and troubles they'd come through without a leader. So the Lord of life, the glorious Almighty, made this man renowned. Shield had fathered a famous son. Bio's name was known through the north. And a young prince must be prudent like that, giving freely while his father lives, so that afterwards, in age, when fighting starts, steadfast companions will stand by him and hold the line. Behavior that is admired is the path to power among people everywhere. Oh, not good. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> yeah. And as a side note, this was edited by a monk at some point. And thus the God and Lord of life and glorious almighty uh, that came... Um, Actually, as far as I know, textual criticisms and those who know more about this than I do, please, uh, you know, put your comments on social media. But this was written around the ninth century. And so it was relatively, you know, soon after this that you see in the ninth, 10th, 11th century, um, Christian monks editing this text, preserving this text. And so they added their little editorial comment or or additions to it as they went. (laughs) Because obviously the Spiridanes were not Christians to begin with. No, probably not. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were tight in Odin's corner. Probably. And thus, and actually, you know, to, as an aside too, uh, there's a lot of Norse myth that was also edited by Christian monks in following. And so I know I've, I've heard this before from critics that the story of how Odin sacrificed himself on the tree and so forth, uh, it mirrors the Jesus story. Well, of course it does, because Christian monks actually did that to the story. They edited it to Christianize it, essentially. And this is something that a lot of people I don't think appreciate, is that uh, at that time in particular, a big part of apologetics then by Christians was to basically say, hey, you know what? You believe in this God and you have this mythology. You're almost right. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but let me tell you about Jesus and God the Father Almighty and so forth. And so what they would do is they would take these epic poems, they would take these myths and these stories, these narratives about the gods and heroes and so forth, and they would edit them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, quote unquote, Christianize them or baptize them. And at that time, especially in the ninth and 10th centuries and early Middle Ages, Christianity was very plastic in the sense of it, it, it was a big tent and it was able to bring in lots of different cultures, especially the monks, because they're out there at the edges of the wilderness and they're interacting with these Germanic tribes and so forth. And they got to live, they got to survive, they got to build their monastery and live their lives at the same time. And it's a fascinating history to me having done my postgraduate work in church history, that this was then how they missionized Germanic tribes and peoples, was they lived alongside of them, and they worked, and they worked alongside these people, and they didn't threaten them, and they didn't force them to convert, but rather they apologized for what they believed in their faith, and then the opposite side is that the people, the Germanic peoples then, would also speak of their myths and their theology with these monks, and then over time, the monks were actually the ones who would in, you know, write it down because they knew how to write mm. and they were literate. And so they would write down these epic poems and myths and so forth. And then they would just add in their theology. Mm-hmm. If you want to see how this works, there's a movie called Valhalla Rising by uh, William Wendig, maybe. But anyways, it's um, Mads Mikkelsen is in it. And it's a story about Vikings. And it's a brutal movie. So if you don't like there's probably 20 lines of dialogue in the whole movie. Nice. Yeah, it's it's a lot of storytelling with, and there's no soundtrack either that I can remember. It's a very small, limited soundtrack. Um, so it's very stark. It's almost like a silent movie. Hmm. And it's very powerful. It's very brutal and visceral. And not violent for the sake of violence. It's violence for the sake of, yeah, this is the way it actually was. Yeah. And the ending is particularly brutal. So if you if you don't like brutal movies... And I don't just mean bloody. I mean, it's brutal. Um, But it's a great story. And especially in the beginning, there's conversation about one guy accepting the Christian God. (laughs) And it's very true to to the historical context. Hmm. And this time. So, yeah, go check it out. Ball Hollow Rising. But it's rough. Great movie, though. So, S.H.I.E.L.D. gave birth to a... He had a son. Bill. B-E-O-W. Bill. And... This is great. The young prince must be prudent, giving freely while his father lives, so that afterwards, in age, when he comes of age and the fighting starts, he has steadfast companions who will stand by him and hold the line. Why? Because they admire his behavior, and that is the path of power among people everywhere. Yep. Right? I mean, uh, we're recording this in October, October 6th, 2019. There's not a single politician that I can say <laughs> that I admire their behavior mm. other than maybe Dan Crenshaw. Otherwise, I'm just not impressed. And yes, we get the politicians we deserve. Yep. Somebody voted for them. But I'm not an admirer of their behavior at all. Yep. In fact, most of the public influencers and power brokers that I see, the talking heads on in the media, I don't admire their behavior. I find it actually lacking in virtue and integrity and dignity and so forth. Yeah. But here's the point, right? That why do they stand by him and hold the line? Because he is prudent and he gives freely while his father's still alive. Meaning he doesn't have to. He's the prince. He's in line for the throne. He doesn't have to give you anything. 
And if he does it after he becomes king, is he trying to buy you off? Is he trying to win your allegiance by giving you, showering you with gifts? Or is this just the way he is? He gives freely of everything that he has to you so that you admire the fact that he is a giving person and he gives freely without a price tag attached to it. Yep. Yep. You make friends before the fighting starts. Exactly. Not afterwards, because then everybody knows why you're trying to make friends with them. You're mm-hmm. closing up to them because you're, you're afraid of you're getting butt kicked. Yep. But that's so great. So we have courage and greatness. This is the time of courage and greatness and of princes who went on heroic campaigns. And a heroic figure, Shield Chiefson, is a scourge of many tribes, a wrecker of mead benches, rampaging among foes, terror of the Hall troops. And he is a good king for this reason. So think about that. If we defined a president this way, right? Well, what defines a president? Well, he needs to be the scourge of many tribes. <laughs> he needs to be able to really wreck a mead bench. He mean, he needs to close down a bar. Yeah. He, he must rampage amongst his foes and be a terror of troops who sit around in the great hall drinking mead and eating and not wanting to go out to fight. Mm-hmm. That's a good president. I agree. Can you imagine running on that campaign promise? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet simultaneously, his son then freely gives and through his behavior is admired and is basically given power, bequeathed power by people who admire the way in which he behaves and the way he treats other people. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing, right? This is kind of the dichotomy that, that Jock was always talking about. This guy is a warrior. He's a scourge of, of his enemies. He wrecks mead benches. He rampages amongst his foes. He's a terror. But he also gives freely to his friends. He's a generous, uh, benevolent, altruistic person. So it's not, I'm a savage all the time. I'm just cutting heads off and putting them on the ends of pikes, raping women, burning villages to the ground kind of stuff all the time. No. He's a good man, a good king, because, yeah, he's a mighty warrior and he can hold his own in a fight. He's got courage and greatness, but to his friends, he gives freely. And I think that's important. In fact, there's another movie. I just watched this movie again two weeks ago called The 13th Warrior, starring Antonio Banderas, oh, which is yeah. actually about an Arab who is basically chosen by a, a Cirrus to go along with some Vikings to free a village that has been overrun by these you know, these bear demons that come out of the woods. Mm-hmm. It's actually built, it's based on the Michael Crichton novel, The Bone Eaters? I, some, I think it was based on a novel. I don't remember if it was yeah, it's, Crichton. Yeah, it's definitely who. based on Michael Crichton's novel. I, and I think he executive produced it. But anyways, it's a good old movie mm-hmm. for the same reason. Essentially what it comes down to, folks, is if there's a Viking narrative, I'm watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker for a, a TV show about Vikings, like The Last Kingdom or Vikings, or uh, a movie about Vikings. That's, how it, that's what it comes <laughs> down to. It just stirs my blood. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you want to find me on Instagram, my handle is Ashigurami Viking for that reason. But I think that's a very interesting dichotomy because like I said, we tend to favor those who are not courageous and great in, of character. Yeah. And I was meditating on this and you can... Um, add to this uh, as you see fit. But Mm -hmm. I think I've mentioned on the show before, since I started combat martial arts and I started um, fighting in particular, 
a lot of people that were friends with me or I thought were my friends, and they're still friendly toward me, but they don't ever want to discuss what I do outside of ministry. They don't want to discuss combat martial arts. They don't even want to talk about the UFC or Bellator or MMA in general. They don't want to talk about fighting. They don't want to talk about war. I have a friend who's a Navy, uh, retired Navy SEAL. He loves to talk about this stuff because he's a retired Navy SEAL and he trains jiu-jitsu. But he's a warrior, so he, he's comfortable with the conversation mm-hmm. versus folks that are friendly with me or friends of mine that are not warriors or not in the fight game, so to speak. They're uncomfortable with talk about violence, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me. It's, again, this dichotomy of... They'll watch violent TV shows, they'll watch violent movies, they'll read books that are, you know, have violence in them. But then when there's a person in front of them who is an actual fighter, an actual warrior, an actual violent person, then they get really uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about it. Yep. And I get it and I respect that about that it makes them uncomfortable. And so I understand from that side of the things because I haven't always done this. But at the same time, it's interesting to me to watch people pull back from me simply for what I do mm-hmm. and whatever they see of it having changed me. But I'm not an aggressive person, I don't think. I'm an intense person, but I'm not aggressive, I don't think. Um, and I'm not the type of person who's like, yeah, if you don't train mixed martial arts, if you don't compete and fight, then I can't be friends with you. I'm not like that at all. But it is interesting to me that so many people I know don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. They self-segregate. Yeah. Do you Have you had that same experience coming out of the military where people will say thank you for your service, for example, but they really don't want to know the details? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah, thank you for your service. So what exactly did you do? And they're like, whoa, sorry, over the line. <laughs> over the line, Smokey. <laughs> right? This isn't NOM. There's rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I suspect it's mostly just the unknown. Um, mm, sure. And there's uh, an amount of fear that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, perhaps something of a mystique. Um, I think the other part of it, too, is this veneer of civilization that we've built up. That True. means no one gets struck. No, you know everything is mm-hmm. nice and and peaceful, and we all just kind of sit around and talk about our problems. And right. um, uh, do you think at present that courage and greatness of character are considered even in, like a necessity in, in general? In general, no. Um, mm. I, I would actually argue the opposite. Yeah. Um, we've, we've built the very society Thucydides warned us against, mm, um, right. which is to say the separation of warrior from intellectual or right. to push it further, even further warrior from everything. Yeah. Right. So you have this kind of, um, caste system mm. where, you have the soldier class, if you will, and uh, I suppose you could throw into that um, people who do jujitsu or or uh, boxing, or yeah, combat, like, yeah, things like that. And then there's everybody else, mm-hmm. and there's this there's this idea that 
we don't need the virtues that come along with these things to get by in this life. Right. Uh, so I can, uh, I can run around and stab people in the back and be disloyal and on and on and on and on. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, you know, um, uh, at worst, perhaps I'll break a law and go to jail for, for my crimes. But yeah. otherwise, eh, it, it doesn't matter. You know, we, we can uh, slander whoever we want on social media um, or even in person, mm-hmm. knowing full well that nothing's going to come of it. You know, Reminds um, me of that Robert E. Howard quote. Robert E. Howard wrote Tarzan, Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard said, civilized men are more discourteous than savages because they know they can be impolite without having their skulls split yeah. as a general thing. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Go ahead and Google a picture of Robert E. Howard, who was not himself a savage by any stretch of the imagination, but was able to write about it quite well. But I think there's, I think it's a, a very well put point, and mm-hmm. to your point too, that when we, like you said, the veneer of civilization or civility, it allows us to be discourteous because there is no threat that my skull is going to get split open. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that in the present tense, there are no shield sheepskins mm-hmm. running around that I have to be worried about. And if there are, like you pointed out, we just segregate them. Mm hmm. In fact, we see this after wars where what do we do with the great warriors? Well, there's no war. We talked about this with Ntobe, right? Yeah. The, the, the whole reason the samurai class was invented is because the people are like, yeah, we're afraid of them. <laughs> so how do we domesticate these guys? Mm-hmm. And then we'll just use them as weapon, our weapons against our enemies. Mm-hmm. And as long as we keep them fighting in that direction, they'll not turn on us. Yeah. And then we saw what happened, of course, with the advent of capitalism in Japan in the end of feudalism, these, this warrior caste, these knights were betrayed by their people yeah, and stripped of everything ultimately. Yeah. And so for their service, the reward was we're going to rob and cheat and steal from you and leave you penniless and homeless actually in many cases. Mm. And obviously we see this in the present tense with uh, veterans who get out of the military, how many veterans are homeless yep. and don't get the benefits they deserve and don't get the help that they deserve mentally, physically, so forth and so on. And so we say, thank you for your service, but then, well, a vast majority of homeless people are veterans. Yeah. um, That's always been an issue though. Um, I know. At least since the time of Rome. Right. Um, Absolutely. Probably, probably longer than that. But I'm sure to, to kind of bring it back to our point though, um, Mm -hmm. it was not that long ago historically speaking, in this very country, that if you said something stupid, you'd get punched in the nose for it. Or if you said something really stupid, you would have to wake up early the next day to meet uh, another gentleman on the field of honor. I was going to say, Andrew Jackson made a career out of this. Yes, he did. And then... (laughs) Became president, but that's... I was going to uh, say, if they, uh, there we go. Andrew Jackson was the shield chiefson of his generation. In Well, in some ways he was. Um, yeah. These men were savages. Right. Uh, George Washington, uh, the the lot of them. 
Yeah. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt could be argued he he may have been the last when it comes yeah, to our say, president. Go ahead and if you want to go Google the receipt from the Second Continental Congress. Mm. Right, the Constitution was essentially ratified in an alehouse, mm-hmm. and the um, the the bill that they basically bailed out on is enormous. The amount that they drank and the number of pregnant people, pregnant women, pregnant prostitutes left in their wake. In fact, social services was essentially started in places like Philadelphia as a consequence of these guys mm-hmm. because there were so many unwed mothers. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Teddy. God, I love Teddy. Yep. Good old Teddy. The blood and Just the sweat and the dust. Got shot and just kept on talking. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there's a guy who grew up with asthma, grew up a runt, grew up a weakling, kind of like Helio Gracie. And as Teddy himself said, Best thing for you is jujitsu. Hmm. So let's drive on here. Shield's funeral. Shield was still thriving when his time came and he crossed over into the Lord's keeping. His warrior band did what he bade them when he laid down the law among the Danes. Again, just as a side note, there's just so much to talk about and we haven't even made it off the first page. <laughs> Think about this, going back to what I said earlier about these Christian monks who are adding their their theology to this, this epic poem. <laughs> Our, speaking of being civilized and soft, our piety is so soft and weak mm. compared to the piety of these people. Shield Chiefson, according to these monks who took this and preserved this story and edited it, was taken into the Lord's keeping. This is a dude who was the scourge of many tribes, a wrecker of mead benches and rampaging amongst many foes and a terror of the hall troops. Mm-hmm. He was a good king. He was also benevolent and giving and kind, and he was a godly man. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, this is definitely, I'm working on this for a book eventually, because um, in the prophet Isaiah, he talks about how the Lord took away the warriors and mighty men and replaced them with women and orphans mm-hmm. and said, you no longer get the warriors and the mighty men to watch over and rule you and protect you. Instead, yep. I'm going to give you women and children, basically, to be your protectors. Yeah. And obviously, it's not very politically correct in the present tense, but point being is that when the warriors and mighty men, to what we were just talking about too, when those are removed, when those are gone... Who's the white blood cells for the society? Mm-hmm. Who's going to protect us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's the thing. Everyone wants to think of themselves as a sheepdog. You're right. Until it's time to do sheepdog stuff. I was going to say until it's time to do sheepdog things. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to be a gangster until it's time to do gangster stuff. Yep. Everybody wants to be a fighter until it's time to actually get in a fight. Yep. And uh, my little brother, Elias, um, readily admits that... He trained in MMA for over two years and then got in a situation where he realized he was a coward and it crushed him. Hmm. And he still trains occasionally, but he doesn't have the passion for it because he was training for the time when he got in a fight or he got in a situation and he had to handle himself. And when he was in that situation, he didn't do anything Hmm. because he's a coward. He admits he's a coward. I'm not saying anything that he hasn't admitted publicly to other people too. And I respect him profoundly for having the strength of character to admit that openly and, and recognize it about himself, but it did hurt him very deeply as a consequence. Yeah. And I think that's the thing though, is that true courage and greatness of character doesn't necessarily mean you're wrecking mead benches and rampaging. It could just mean that you're able to look yourself in the mirror and go, I know who I am. Yeah. And I'm going to admit to other people who I am. Yeah. Well, and not just being able to recognize and admit that, but then take steps to change it. Right. 
and maybe again, this is a rabbit trail, but it, it impresses me when I read like the prophet Isaiah and the godly men in the Old Testament, for example, like Samson of all people, <laughs> or King David, a mighty warrior himself, or mm. others in the book of Judges, for example, Joshua and Caleb. Yeah. These are warriors. These are savages. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think, at least my opinion, is that uh, since the Industrial Revolution and the Enlightenment and the softening of Christian theology and preaching and teaching, so that Jesus is my friend, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus, the softening of the biblical message to make Jesus more pal- palatable to, let's say, well, actually it was women and children. That was This mm-hmm. was on purpose directed toward appealing to women and children during the Industrial Revolution because and, men were either off fighting or working at the factory. And developed by... And developed by women and children. Yes, women for like the Sunday school movement, you know, mm-hmm. for example. And I wonder if this hasn't, and there's been many, many books written on this topic and many podcasts dedicated to it, that because we've lost the theology of the warriors and mighty men, the piety of the warriors yeah. and mighty men, for example, their example, as I talked about at the beginning, our boys and our men in the churches today, for example, they don't have these examples then. Mm-hmm of courage and great character. They don't have this cur- this piety of these warriors and mighty men to say, that's a godly man. You mean you can actually fight and be a soldier and protect your family and your country and be a first responder or mm-hmm. train in combat and be prepared to you know get in a fight to help protect your neighbor and still be a Christian? A hundred percent. Dr. Martin Luther in the early, in 1520s wrote a famous essay entitled, Why a Soldier Can Be a Christian. Yeah. Because it was a question then. It's a question now. And I know lots of people, actually, who um, are Christian, faithful Christians, who will tell you straight up, you can't be a fighter, be a Christian. They're mm-hmm. contradictory. And my response is, have you read two-thirds of the Bible? Yeah. Yep. In fact, Jesus had a terrorist for one of his disciples. Yeah. The Simon zealots. the Zealot was a terrorist. Mm-hmm. Converted, obviously, but yes. the Zealots were terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. No, he wasn't still a terrorist. <laughs> yeah. <In> fact, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the point being is that we have examples throughout the whole Bible for our, ourselves as Christians, and therefore, obviously, amongst the Jewish folks as well. It's their scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so, again, here, Shield Chiefson was taken, he would crossed over into the Lord's keeping. Well, how can that possibly be that this savage warrior, who's a scourge and so forth, can be taken into the Lord's keeping? I thought you had to be a good Christian, blah, 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 to do that. He had faith. Well... He had faith, exactly. And as <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, he justified by faith. Yep. Well, yeah, but his works. What about his works? Yep. <laughs> that was the benevolence and all of that. Exactly. The fruits of the Spirit, as we call them. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that, yeah, piety is not, as Paul calls it, effeminate. Yeah. It's not soft piety. It's actually the piety of courage and strength of character. Yep. Nope. And like I said, that doesn't necessarily mean you got to pick up a gun and go and serve in the military or get in the cage and fight or any yeah. of that stuff. It just yeah. means go find out what it means to to demonstrate, to manifest courage and strength of character. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a warrior, to be a fighter? You know, to have a great character, you don't have to get in a cage and fight. You don't have to get a cut across your nose like I have currently. <laughs> um, <laughs> it could just mean that you fight to stay sober every day. It could mean that you fight for your marriage and your family every day mm-hmm. by going to work and working at a job that you loathe, but you got to do it because you got to put food on the table. And, and yep. you see people do this all the time to provide for their kids so that their kids can grow up and have the opportunities that they did not have. You know, and I think we all do this to a greater or lesser extent. 
Mm-hmm. But courage is not just picking up the sword and going out and you know lopping heads off. Yeah, like greatness of character, it helps. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, and, in his vocation as king, there would have been times when that was necessary. That exactly. was his job. In fact, so. we're going to read Miyamoto Musashi next, the Book yes. of Five Rings. He died a pacifist. Mm-hmm. He put his swords down and went. You know what? No, no more, no more. And so, yeah, I think that's important that it takes courage to not pick up a sword, by the way. Mm-hmm. It takes courage to receive that blow to your face and not hit back. Yep. That's a great, that demonstrates great character too. Yep. So the law among the Danes, so they shouldered him out to the sea's flood. The chief they revered who had long ruled them. A ring whirled prow rode in the harbor, ice clad, outbound, a craft for a prince. They stretched their beloved lord in his boat, laid out by the mast amidships. The great ring-giver, far-fetched treasures were piled upon him, and precious gear. I never heard before of a ship so well-furbished with battle-tackle, bladed weapons, and coats of mail. The mast treasure was loaded on top of him. It would travel far on out into the ocean's sway. They decked his body no less bountifully with offerings than those first ones did who cast him away when he was a child and launched him alone out over the waves. And they set a gold standard up high above his head and they let him drift to wind and tide, bewailing him and mourning their loss. No man can tell, no wise man in hall or weathered veteran knows for certain who salvaged that load. And that is the life of Sheaf Sheafson. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Shield Sheafson. There we go. It's such a great name. It is, right? <laughs> Almost makes me want to have another kid just <laughs> name him Shield Sheafson. Yeah. Shield Riley. Wanted to name our son Maximus, or, uh, Maximus Murphy. There you so, go. <laughs> of course, the wife would not have it. Right. Isn't that the name of the guy in the Gladiator movie? Shut up. No one will remember. Yep. <laughs> Are you not entertained? That's right. <laughs> he comes out and you just hold him up above the heads of the doctor and nurses. Mm-hmm. And then go, Are you not entertained? <laughs> Is this not why you are here? <laughs> oh, that's fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. We might have to dedicate a second episode to Beowulf since we never even got to him. Oh, gosh, right. There's just, there is so much in these old epics. Um, right. There are lessons that still apply today um, mm-hmm. and arguably are more important to us today. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, too, what we then find out, and maybe well, this is what we'll come back to next week, is that Grendel, the demon Grendel, mm-hmm. he represents, again, chaos, the forces of chaos in the world, but also, as the Christian editors added in, he also represents that which is satan- satanic and demonic. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's not just a battle of order versus chaos, but rather it's also a battle of good versus evil. Mm -hmm. What is godly versus what is ungodly and twisted. And so we can come back to that in the next episode too, because it's just, it's so good. Mm -hmm. It's just so good. And like I said, I will uh, try and remember to post the links to uh, Heaney reading this uh, so you can listen to it for yourself. It's fantastic especially since he's Irish and he translated this so he can pronounce these things much better than <laughs> Right. But I got nothing else. You got anything else? I don't. I don't. Uh, read the epics. 
you yeah, you will be sure. pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah. That's maybe that's the thing to, to end with too. Is that we've kind of lost that mm-hmm. the epic poem, the Iliad, the Odyssey, Beowulf, yeah, and others like that. The Song of Roland, as I mentioned earlier, that these were they were morality tales for sure. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of like what we've been talking about when we talked about Stockdale and the Stoics and Epictetus. Is that what does it really mean to be a person of virtue? What does it mean to be a Stoic, for example? Yeah. And to live your philosophy. Well, here, courage and greatness of character are manifest in the epic poem in such a way that you can walk away and go, oh, that's what he means. Yeah, exactly. And it's not necessarily what we in the present tense then would expect, like you pointed out, that civilization as we painted it doesn't really have a place for these heroic characters. Mm -hmm. But maybe, maybe... If we recovered this and we exempt, we choose these as our examples, uh, we would be changed for the better by it, mm-hmm. both personally and in relation to other people. Exactly. Yep. So I will conclude with what I posted yesterday was my sobriety birthday since 1998, whatever that means, and happy anniversary to Bill and his wife. We celebrated your anniversary the same day I celebrated my sobriety. Well, congratulations. Coincidence? I think not. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, for me, the point of reading these kinds of things for being a stoic is to strengthen the mind, subdue the body, and improve my relationships. Yeah. That's ultimately why I do it. So I hope that listening to this podcast, and please do share it with others if you find that it's beneficial to you. That at least for me, one of the reasons to have this conversation, maybe the main reason to have this conversation is that reason, to help you figure out ways to strengthen your mind, subdue your body, and improve your relationships with other people. Hmm. So come back next week. We'll talk, maybe we'll get to Beowulf next week. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. We'll see. Anyways, thank you so much for your time and attention, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bill, send us out. Thank you for listening, as always.